morning, everyone. It's sure nice to be back in my home church uh, after uh, this summer. I've been speaking. In fact, I was in Madrid, as, as uh, Ted said. And then from there, I've had the chance to speak on the East Coast, to the Jersey Shores, the, mount the mountains and the woods of Michigan, and then just got back from the West Coast. And I've had uh, these big Christian conference centers all around the country. And I was reminded what a great ministry that they are to the world. How many of you here grew up going to Bible camps or conference centers and you had some of that experience? There's a tremendous impact. Remember those people in your prayers because uh, in some ways more can be done in one week of summer camp than sometimes a whole year of, of Sunday sermons. So it sure has been a, a wonderful time to be away uh, now I, I'm going to start with a confession. You'll have to discern whether this is a sin or not in my life. But um, I like to get up Monday through Friday, just a little before 7 o'clock, and uh, fill my cup with the sacrament of caffeine. And then I turn on CBS News. Because I like Charlie Rose and Nora O'Donnell at 7 o'clock. And I've got, they, do, they do the world in about 18 minutes. And it's a terrible way to, it's a stupid way to start the day. Why would anybody want to do this? Here's Charlie Rose. Uh, he, he starts like this. Uh, floods on the East Coast. And then they show pictures of people stranded and such. Cyclone in China, one of the largest in the history of humankind. Earthquakes, Oklahoma City, 300 earthquakes this year in just that city alone. But prior to this, Oklahoma City would average one earthquake a year. What in the world is going on? Drought in the West, 50 wildfires just in the state of Washington alone. You know, until we had multi-global media, we didn't know all of these things. So that was, I thought, well, okay, yeah, wow, nature's out of control. And then Nora, or whoever the female anchor was, then she comes on and she starts talking about nations. And it's just what Pastor Ted prayed about. It's ISIS in the, in the Middle East. It's, it's thousands of rockets coming from Gaza to Israel and Israel's rockets going into Gaza. And it's Syrian refugees. Uh, I just learned uh, we had a missionary couple here who are just heading back to Jordan one of our missionary couples, and they said the Syrian refugee population that's moved into Jordan makes it the second largest refugee camp in the world. Right now, it's just happened in the last year. What is going on? Where is history headed? Then that plane gets shot, shot down over Ukraine. I've flown that route. What is going on? Where is history headed? Nature nations, and then near at home, just as Pastor Ted prayed, uh, how are things? I, I was just with a wonderful couple down here who have become friends. They're from Albania, actually. And I said, how's it going, guys? And they said, he goes good, and she goes hard. That's, that's a pretty accurate way to look at life, right? From a Christian perspective, good and hard. And so when I prayed for them, I said, Lord, may you give them more good to manage the hard for the rest of their lives. This is what's happening. It should uh, awaken fear in us, perhaps doubt in us. It's true. 
We have every right, however, to ask this. Uh, ah, I should probably just tell you. Near at home for me, it's not been easy either. Um, a week ago, I got a call uh, late at night. Marie and I were together out in California, and I got news that my best friend in the world had died of a massive heart attack. Some of you knew him. How many here knew Chris Mitchell, our dear, dear friend? Yeah, I was numb for 24 hours. We did his memorial service right here Friday night. I had every intention that Chris would bury me, that I wouldn't bury Chris. Uh, then yesterday, uh, at home, had just finished the sermon and was getting ready to go out and mow the lawn, and my uncle calls from Montana. Uh, lawn, I need you to know that your cousin Mark just committed suicide. This is life. This is what it is. All right. What does God have to say about it? And what is God doing about it? I welcome you to Psalm 46. If you have a Bible, would you open it, please, to Psalm 46 or turn it on, uh, whichever modus of mediation you prefer. Those of you that are visiting today, you might not even be used to using a Bible, but we've got them on the backs of the seats, and we even have the page number for where we're going to be in this great psalm. So, in a world where catastrophe is the norm, how do we find consolation? That is the theme of Psalm 46, finding consolation in catastrophe. If you got it open... Look at the very first line. I don't mean verse 1. Look at just before that. It says, For the director of music, the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. You say, what's all of that about? Well, some of the psalms actually give us instructions. And in this one, we have some very precise things said. First of all, the psalms are poems. And their poems put to music, and they were the hymnody of ancient Israel, as Pastor Rob has said to us. This one says, for the director of music. One of the top dogs is going to deal with this one. And this, this poem is going to be placed to the music by the highest composers in the land. Then it says, they're from the sons of Korah, and they were. The next line, according to Alamoth, that's an interesting term. In the Hebrew language, the, the root of that word is the same word we use to uh, define virgin. It's the word we use in uh, Isaiah 7.15, and the virgin will conceive and bear a son. It's that word, Alamoth. And it probably indicates that this song should be sung by women. It's probably meant to be for high voices or young voices, ladies, young women, to sing Psalm 46. That's interesting because this is a tragic psalm. This is a psalm of finding God in the midst of catastrophe. But isn't it an interesting contrast that you might use um, soothing, the soothing female voice? To help express it. I, I find that really interesting. The last thing about it in its structure is I want you to look at the end of verse 3. 
Do you have a word there, a five-letter word? Selah, okay? You'll see it again after verse 7, and finally again at verse 11. Verse 11. Selah is also, we believe, but we're not sure, a musical term. And Selah means interlude or rest. It may mean in this case that at that point the voices drop out and there's just instrumental interlude of the harps, perhaps. But the point is, is that when Selah is mentioned, it's, it's, it's intended so that what you are hearing and experiencing, you pause, you rest, you reflect at what it is. The Psalms use the word Selah 71 times. Three of them are right here. And they're put in very interesting points in this psalm. I think you'll see the importance of it. It's as if God is saying at those points, stop for a second and let this sink in. So the rest, the interlude, the pause, we use it musically. Um, We use it today. I was listening to uh, Beethoven yesterday. Uh, Sometimes I put on classical music when I'm working on the sermons. So first I had uh, uh, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. From once we get, Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory. It's really lovely, lovely. Okay, and and then I thought, no, 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 but I want to experience some Selah. So then I put on the fifth, Beethoven's fifth. You know it. Ba-ba-ba-bam! And so you get it in the great music, these pauses that are intended to cause impact inside you. It may be the loudest note of all, maybe the Selah. If we do it in, in dramatic art, uh, listen, listen to this, listen to this Shakespeare. To be or not to be, that is the question. But if you put a sailor into it, to be or not to be, that is the question. The power of the pause, okay? So think of sailor as pause, rest, reflection, musical, or cognitively. All right. Enough. Enough. Let's take a look at the psalm now. And may I read it, please? Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with surging. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. 
Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, he burns the shields with fire. And he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Lord, help us to understand this, your word, which was given to that generation and to us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Verse 1. I like the way it starts. We, I call this stanza 1. We're going to divide this in three stanzas. Stanza 1 is verses 1 through 3. It starts with God. The first word is God. That's what we need in order to handle catastrophe. Start with God, be sustained with God, endure with God, hold on with God, and wait for God. Starts with God. God is our refuge. Three words there. Our refuge, God is our strength, and God is our ever-present help. Refuge. God is our rest. Uh... When Marie and I used to take our kids on trips, we get into our van and we drive for hours and hours and hours. And I always loved seeing the blue signs on the interstates that would say, rest area ahead. Right? <laughs> I see a lot of young parents here. Yeah. Boy, you need those times to just rest. God is our rest area in life. And God is our, conversely, our strength. He is the warrior. He is the mighty one. Rest and power together in one verse. This is your God. And he's ever present. He's ever present to help us in trouble. That's what it says. The, the word there, ever, can actually be defined as, um, what did I write down here? Got it right here. He is exceedingly present. Not just maybe, but exceedingly present to help in time of need. That's how this starts. It's a good thing, because look what happens in verses 2 and 3. We will not fear, therefore, when the earth gives up. Way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. What are we talking about? Earthquakes. Though the earth give away, though mountains literally fall into the heart of the sea. Earthquakes. How many of you have ever experienced an earthquake? Yeah, I don't know anything more frightening to me than an earthquake. Uh, high seas, not a big deal. Uh, high elevation, who cares in an airplane? Uh, mountain climbing, who cares? But when the ground you're standing on is not stable, it does something to you psychologically. And that's how this goes. It says, mountains falling into the sea. Uh, the earth literally giving away under your feet. Then look at verse 3. 
Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, it moves from earthquakes to tsunami. Water out of control. Waters roaring. Waters foaming. Mountains literally quaking under the challenge of the waters. I found myself thinking, uh, how did some poet in ancient Israel have a read on earthquakes and tsunamis? I don't know. Well, we do. We hear about it. We see it. We experience it. Charlie Rose and Nora O'Donnell every day. Is it only the, the nature? Is, I mean, is this to be taken literally? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And, and the contrast is amazing. Is it possible to be calm in earthquakes and tsunami? Wow. It says we can be. But it's also symbolic of our lives. Um, I doubt if there's a single one of us here today that isn't dealing with an earthquake or a tsunami of some kind. I'm sorry. But as I said earlier, life is good and life is hard. And we've got them. So that's where it goes. We need God because life is precarious. We need God because nature is out of control. We need God because our lives are out of control. And then at the end of verse 3, Selah. Think on these things. He picks right back up. Verse 4, verse 5. This is really interesting. Moving away from surging waters, the writer then says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. River, city. See it? Holy place, the city of God. Is this talking about ancient Israel? Is it talking about Jerusalem? Yeah, when was this psalm written? We don't know for sure. Uh, the, the three best guesses is that this psalm was written around the year 1000 B.C. or around the year 700 B.C. or around the year 500 B.C. So much for scholars. All right. It may have been written during the time of David when he was actually alive and they just started to move into Jerusalem. It may have been written when Hezekiah was trying to keep Jerusalem together with war, warring armies outside the gates. It may have been after, uh, after the people of Jerusalem were taken away in exile as refugees to another land and they came home. We don't know. But initially, it looks like it's talking about Jerusalem. However, problem, there's no river in Jerusalem. <laughs> the best they've got is a little brook, which you call Shiloh. I hope to be there in a few weeks, and I'm going to see if I can find Shiloh. They found other ways to get water in, but this, this is talking about an amazing river, a river whose streams... 
It's, it's such a large river that streams emanate out from it. And it makes glad the city of God. So then my head moved to this. Hold it, hold it, hold it. I've read about this. I've read about this in Genesis. In the Garden of Eden, there's a great river in the garden. And it says the river moves out of the garden and it forms four streams, four rivers that water the whole Middle East. This is the Garden of Eden. Then I thought, well, even more than that. This is the new Jerusalem. This is the Jerusalem that hasn't come yet. This is the last chapter in the Bible, just as it's the first chapter in the Bible, Eden. It's the last chapter where the new heaven and the new earth is, and it literally says this, the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing down from the throne of God, down the middle of the great street of the city, and on either side stands the tree of life, bearing crops of fruit, yielding every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations and so right here packed into Psalm 46 is an allusion toward the garden that started it all and the city and the river that will end it all for history began in a garden it will end in a city when Jesus Christ sends down the new Jerusalem either way the reason this is here in this text is God's trying to talk to you about comfort, calm, and serenity in the midst of catastrophe. The river nourishes. The river is calm. The river provides all that is necessary for the healing of the nations. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place, and then look, everybody, where the Most High dwells. God is within her she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Selah, Selah, Selah. Do it, Lord. Do it in our lives. But then verse 6, right back to the contrast. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. And he lifts his voice and the earth melts. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. Uh, again, the Israel and Gaza thing this week. Rockets going in. Rockets coming out. Babies dying. On one of the news shows uh, late this week, they had a woman journalist who was in Gaza and, you know, with the helmet on and everything. And she was talking to one of the leaders of the Hamas who are the ones orchestrating the attack from Gaza, from the Palestinian side. And she, she just says, uh, well, can't you stop it? In other words, stop sending all those rockets over there and then they'll stop sending all their rockets. This is the stuff we talk to children about. And he says, well, they started it. And then she came out of her skin. She did what a journalist is not supposed to do. She put herself in there. And she says, I don't care who started it. Can't you stop it? The best minds in the world are orchestrating the wars of the world. You can be a cognitive genius and a moral infant. And that's our world. 
Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms are tottering, collapsing, falling in on themselves. And not only that, but then it says, and God lifts his voice and the earth melts. God will take action. Destroy the destroyers, he will. And at one point in the history of existence, we are told in the scriptures, this earth as we know it will literally melt. The elements themselves will be destroyed by God before he gives the new heaven and the new earth to those that love him. God hates war. God hates afflictions and enmities and bitternesses and family squabbles. God hates all of that. He knows what it does to us. It's not the way he intended it to be. And then verse 7. But the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Hold on to God. Selah. Stanza 3, verse 9. He makes wars to cease. I'm sorry, 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 sorry. I did this last time too. Verse 8. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. Have you ever thought of God that way? As God bringing about desolations. Does God engage in violent activity? The answer is yes. God will destroy the destroyers. Think of Noah. Think of the Egyptian army trying to stop the Israelites as they headed toward the promised land and the Red Sea. Think of Assyria outside the gates of Jerusalem when Hezekiah is king. And 185,000 soldiers of the finest army in the earth are about to rip the city apart. Think about how in the night God destroyed 185,000 warriors from Assyria like that. He does wrought desolations on the earth. He does destroy the destroyers in this life and the next. That's what that is saying. So, uh, this may not sit well, but I need you to know that God is a God of war. Against evil. Just as God is a God of peace. And that's where we come to verse 9 and 10. Look at 9. We're in the third stanza now, 8 through 11. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Wars cease. Bows break. Spears are snapped. Shields burn with fire because God will simply say, No more. Uh, when, when I was coming to faith in Jesus, when I was a high school student, we used to sing a lot of the great folk songs and a lot of the great, uh, what we called then Negro spirituals. 
Some of the best music that's ever been written is, uh, is, is uh, gospel songs by African-American people. And one that we used to sing is all about Psalm 46. It, it went like this. I'm going to lay down my sword and shield down by the riverside. Do some of you know that? Do some of you know? Okay, you can sing it. Down by the riverside. We're down, down by the riverside. I'm going to lay down my sword and shield. Ba -boom -boom. Down by the riverside. Down by the riverside. Then the chorus goes. And I ain't going to study war no more. I ain't going to study war no more. I ain't going to study war no more. Hallelujah. I ain't going to study war no more. Okay. That's what God's going to do. That song is written about this psalm. God will stop the wars down by the riverside. See it? Pretty cool. I like that. Wow. <laughs> then he comes with the great 10th verse. This is the verse you knew about this song. If you have been a follower of Jesus Christ for a period of time. If you haven't, you didn't know. But it says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Now, we use that, that verse very devotionally in the church and in our lives. And we tend to make it soft. Be still and know that I am God. You know, it's good. It, it works for that. You know, most of us need to calm down. We're far too frenzied. Okay, I get that. Be still and know that I am God. All right. But wrong interpretation, both the grammar and the context here, suggest that God's not talking about everybody being calm and still. God is speaking to his word his, and his world, and he is saying, stop it now. Enough. This is God saying, cease and desist. And he's speaking to nature, and he's speaking to nations, and he's speaking to us. This is warning. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Stop it. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Wow. What a psalm, huh? Thank you, Lord. Martin Luther depended on this one. A mighty fortress is our God. This was the, this was the psalm of the Reformation. They held on to it when the whole world was crumbling around them. You can hold on to it when your world is crumbling around you. I bring three big ideas out of it. And the first one is this, and we're going to put it up on the screen. First big idea is God is in command. No matter what you think, no matter what you feel, God is in command. In this psalm, God is mentioned in nine of the 11 verses. 
in this psalm, it starts with the word God and it ends with the promise of God. No matter what we are facing, God is saying, I've got this. I'm here. And nothing happens apart from him. From the Alps to the Andes, from the Appalachians to the San Andreas Fault, which is supposed to make all of California slide into the ocean, God says, not without me saying, okay, I am in charge. Look at Colossians 1, 16 and 17. We'll put it on screen. For in him, all things are created, things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All things have been created through him. All things have been created for him. He is before all things and in him all existence holds together. I wish I could tell you that coming to Jesus means that you don't experience catastrophes. But that would be a lie. But I do promise you this. They're not a surprise to God. And he superintends over it all. And it will not always be this way. Even, you know, even prime ministers and presidents and all of this stuff. Whew, I love what the scriptures say. The king's heart is like a water channel in the eyes of the Lord. And he will turn it however he wishes. Hold on to that. No matter what you're going through, God's in charge. God's in charge. God's in charge. Number two, the God who's in charge is also with us. With us. Uh, it's in verse one, ever present. It's in verse four, where the most high dwell. It's in verse five, within her. God is within her. It's in verse seven, the Lord Almighty is with us. The Lord Almighty is with us, verse 11. Beginning to end, no matter what we are going through, God's over it and God is with us in it. I know this. I'm 62 now. I'm no longer a kid. I have gone through many crises and catastrophes, and so have you. And I am here to say, I've never felt God wasn't with me. Julie Mitchell, Chris's wife, 38 years married, my dear friend who died of the heart attack, sitting right there on Friday night. I talked with her during the week. I talked with her before the memorial. And I said, Julie, how are you doing? How are you bearing? And she says, I just have the great sense that I'm being carried in the arms of God. Huh? You know? You know? He is with us. God doesn't promise to take the storms away, but he promises to take us through every storm because he is a God who is with us. He is with us. He is with you. You will make it with him because he is with you. I cling to that like nobody's business do I cling to that. I cling to the great hymn which says when peace like a river attends my way 
and sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, he has taught me to say, it is well with my soul. He is with us. And then finally, the third thing, God will create and make every wrong right. This is what we call in Christian theology the living hope, the blessed hope, the hope that God has said life will not always be this way. But at an appointed time in the future, and it could be very, very soon, God will appear. And he's going to do two things. He is going to destroy the destroyers. In fact, in Revelation 20, it speaks of Jesus Christ on the great white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth of which he slays the nations. And this old earth will burn and melt up. But then it also says, but all who know him, all who love him, all who cried out to him in this world will enter in to that place, that holy city, where the wonderful river flows in streams. Wrong will be made right, and no more mourning, no more crying, and no more tears. I hold on to those three things from Psalm 46 when I'm scared at night or when catastrophe strikes when the phone rings. I hold on to the fact that God is in command. I hold on to the fact that God is with us. And I hold on to it will not always be this way. I close with this. These are my cool shades. I even have a little yellow thing here. And when I'm riding my motorcycle, you can see the yellow because it matches my yellow uh, gloves that I put on. So that Marie says you have to do that so people see you. Well, they can see me, but I can't see them very well. Here's why. It's dark, one. Two, I don't see very well distance-wise anymore, and I don't see at all up close. <laughs> so if you see Pastor Lon on his motorcycle, really get out of the way. <laughs> and I will be out on it. <laughs> We're going to do an amber alert or something out there today because he... he uh, today. But the point is, life is foggy, life is dark, and I can't make sense of it. But when I put these on, these used to be called trifocals, but that's an old person term. I'm a boomer. We call them progressive lenses. <laughs> and when I got these puppies on, I can see everything in a distance. I can see you sleeping back there. <laughs> I can see mid-range. I can see close-up. In other words, I have a world view of life that makes sense to me. And this is how I make sense of it. God's in command. God is with us. And it will not always be this way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pray with me now. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Lord, we do thank you for your precious word, which we are about to receive again through song. And Lord, we receive and we give. And so, Lord, as even our offering plate goes past, just let us give out of a full heart. 
and let us give so that we can take this message to every place on planet Earth. And now, Lord, bless thy people as we receive these gifts of song. Amen.